Well, welcome to Sedaris. My name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. I like the way Ryan sells cadres. He's like a hot dog vendor. Hot dogs, hot dogs, sort of pop. <laughs> That's great. Did you hear him? Cadres, consider cadres. Consider cadres. That's what he said. Anyhow, I thought it was funny. This is fun. Okay, so we would love for you to be in at least one thing coming into the winter. I think that's so important that uh, this isn't your only expression of church is Sundays. This is amazing and this is great, but we'd love for you to get in at least one of these others, whether that's the Alpha Course or Cadres. And if you've got the energy and the time, uh, feel free to do both, but don't feel pressure to do both, but at least one. Think of what, what really do I need to do right now? And um, man, this is really this is sort of the go week. We've got, what is it, the 15th? So we've got 11 days until Alpha starts. So now's the time to really press in. Maybe you sent one of those envelopes that we've had out on the seats to a friend. Uh, follow up with them if you haven't heard back from them. Shoot them a text. Say, uh, just curious if you thought more about that Alpha course. And uh, maybe shared on, I shared the Alpha uh, event, the Eventbrite on my uh, page. Um, my Facebook page, if people still use that, uh, so you could share it electronically too. Uh, I don't. You could still share the envelopes, but you know who knows how slow mail is these days. So you could send it electronically. Send them the link to sign up. Uh, but usually, got to ask people a few times. Uh, just a little nudge, a healthy, loving nudge to help them experience something that's a whole lot of fun. Alpha is a whole lot of fun. I don't think I've ever experienced somebody saying. They regretted doing Alpha. Um, it's a really fun experience in 10 weeks. You don't, uh, the other thing to tell your friends is you don't have to sign up for the whole 10 weeks. Tell them, come night one, try it out. See if it's something you want. They say, oh, I'm, I can't make night one. Invite them to night two. The first three nights are, are kind of come and see, check it out. So uh, as you're inviting friends to Alpha, uh, just let them know that this, they don't have to commit up front to all 10 weeks. Come and see if it's something uh, that might bring them life. I know that it will. So... Um, would you pray with me, and then we'll get into our sermon series in John. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful for this community and uh, fellow human beings, God, who are like us, who are limited in knowledge and power and understanding, uh, that you might draw us together so that we might come to know you, uh, the unlimited, the eternal, the all-knowing God, who has revealed to us truth uh, God, this is one of those high mountain moments where we look at the words that you inspired your disciple and apostle John to write for us. God, this is beyond all of our pay grades. This is things that you've revealed that can only be known through your revelation, God. So we ask now that you would send also the eternal spirit that was there also at the beginning with Father and Son, that you'd send the spirit now to illuminate our minds and our hearts that we might feel and know things that we could only know if you reveal them to us. And so as I preach, God, these unknowable things, um, would you help my words to be clear? Would you take my words and use them as instruments to reveal your truth to your sons and daughters here present in the room and watching online? God, we pray that this morning... Uh, helps us to know you in a way that we haven't known you before, to understand who you are in more depth and more height. Uh, you are the word at the beginning. Come now, 
and be with us. Amen. So if you've got a copy of the scriptures, turn to John chapter 1. If you don't, there's a Bible in the seat back in front of you. looks like this. And if you're using that pew Bible, we're going to be on page 941 as we begin. Last week was a big introduction, overview of the gospel of John, understanding the author, who John was, and why he wrote, and how this fourth gospel, the last gospel written, Uh, seeks to answer those questions which maybe the first three Gospels didn't, or the stories that were being shared orally about Jesus may not have fully expressed. And John, as he's getting uh, quite along in age, uh, writes to clarify who Jesus is. And so we've titled this sermon series, What Exactly Do You Think I Believe? And so we imagine John saying this to some of the Christians who were familiar with the teachings and and maybe read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and asking them, has it been transferred? Do you really know? And this is sort of uh, his way of answering perhaps some misunderstandings about who Jesus really was or um, some limited understanding of who he was. And and so he's going to give us, of all the Gospels, the the biggest, most theological, uh, cosmic expression who Jesus truly was. And so we get to look at just the first few verses of that today. And um, you'll see it titled in your Bible, The Prologue. Some have called it, if you're a classical music fan, The Overture, um, where we get to hear some of the main themes and compositions that will come throughout the rest of his gospel his biography of Jesus. And so he's going to give that to us in the first 18 verses. And because of this, there's so much in here, and because it just feels like too much and too much pressure to give it all to you in one week, we're going to take at least, and we'll see how it goes, three weeks to unpack the first 18 verses. And so that takes a little of the pressure off of me because this is some high holy stuff, and I, <laughs> I don't want to mess it up, okay? Um, so that's exciting. Now, if you think, Dave, gosh, why, why do you need to do that? That's such a Dave thing. Well, one of my favorite uh, pastors, theologians, preachers, he took, uh, what was it, Ryan, 65? 65 sermons to do John chapter 1. You want, so you, this is like choose your own adventures. We could do it that way or we could do it three. Okay, we'll just do it three. So... Um, Many have come to this and written whole books on just John chapter 1 because it's so unique and so important and, and so transformative and transcendent. And so, man, these three weeks are going to be really fun. And if we need to stretch it to a fourth, we may. Uh, we'll see. We'll let the Spirit lead. So, um, let me read it to you. And I have a little in my notes here. I said, I'm going to try to keep it short because it's, it's so thick. It's so deep. Um, Your head might hurt after this. But as you guys know, only God knows how long I'll go. So (laughs) we'll try to to move through it because we've got several weeks, but there's so much to say here. So let's read it together and then try to understand how to best know God through these 18 verses. Ready? Here we go. John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created. 
In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Side note, he's not talking about himself. He's talking about John the baptizer. This John came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him and exalted, This is the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. This is the word of God. Now, when you come to something like that, what do you do? Imagine you've never heard that before. How do you approach something that speaks of things before time, things before creation? How do our created minds Navigate such lofty thoughts. This is perhaps the highest mountain of Scripture. How might we try to understand? Um, let me read something for you. This is from a theologian named Karl Barth, who was writing in the 20th century and He's sort of known for his epistemology. So how do we know anything at all? And he was fighting against um, basically German liberal theologians who were stripping the scriptures of all the supernatural and thinking of it just as sort of a historical document. And that's what he's really wrestling against uh, through most of his life. And he's seeking to bring back what Scripture is, a revelation from God. And, and so I want to read what he says at the beginning. He wrote a whole book on just John chapter 1 as well. Um, and this is what he says of how we might come to this text. I think it's really good for us. Whether we've heard this passage a million times or whether this is the first time we've ever heard it, 
Listen to how he talks about engaging with John chapter 1. He says this. We'll have it, you can follow along, we'll have it on the screen. Karl Barth says, We cannot open and read the gospel without first realizing that it comes to us as the good news. As its title indicates, that the word of wisdom which the evangelist, remember we talked about last week, John is often referred to as the evangelist, which the evangelist passes on, not as it is, but as he could. Not as it is, but as he could. What's he getting at? Even these words which God gave to John are still human words in a human language, and John was writing in Greek. And of course, we translate them then to English. And so he's acknowledging that even the words God gives us can't grasp the fullness of what God actually is. But God's okay with that. He's given us the words to understand the word. So we take them as the evangelist passes on, not as it is, but as he could. It is spoken to us that the cup of divine, that is, New and unheard of truth that challenges our other knowledge does in fact reach us so that the question of faith is put to us. Next slide. Conscientious expositors, that's you and me, those seeking to interpret and understand these words, must be as free as possible from such things as religious or non-religious notions from philosophical or ethical convictions, from personal feelings or reactions, from historical habits of thought, prejudices, and the like. They must have an ear simply for what the text says to them, for the new thing that it seeks to say in the face of the totality of their previous subjective knowledge. This freedom is part of lifting up the heart about which Augustine goes on to speak. And he's jamming off of the great St. Augustine and his exposition of John chapter 1. See what he's saying here. We come into reading this with all sorts of other things, but all those things are subordinate to the thing that we just read. Like the information we just got is new information, unheard of truth that God has revealed to us that then interprets all other information that we've accumulated over our lives. Do you come to this text in the same way? Do you let this text reign high above all other things that you think you know? Carl says, if you don't do that, you'll miss the gift that God's given us. He goes on to say, next slide. Sincere and earnest desire to read and expound the gospel of John, not as teachers, but as students, not as those who know, but as those who do not know, as those who let ourselves be told what the gospel, and through it the divine wisdom, is seeking to tell us, holding ourselves free for it, as for a message that we have never heard before." And that can be hard if you've heard this text quoted, preached again and again, but we could even now come to it now, trying to be free 
from everything we want to put into it and then like, let God speak from it instead. That's the way you come to John chapter 1. I hope we can do that together. Again, regardless of if you've ever heard it before, how do we come to our, it holding ourselves free for it is as a message that we have never heard before? Let's try to do that now. So what exactly do you think John believes about this Jesus? You could say it this way. What exactly do you think John believes about Jesus the human being? What exactly do you think John believes about how Jesus' story began? What exactly do you believe about what responsibility the Son has in the world? You might learn something new today. And it all begins, for us at least, with these first five verses. So let's read them again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Next week we'll focus on light. The light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. In him was life. So what exactly do you think I believe about Jesus' responsibility? In him was life. All things were created through him, John says. That's even bigger. Now, perhaps you believe that through Jesus comes salvation, the forgiveness of sin. Amen, that's true. John says, yeah, that's true, but that's not exactly what I believe. I also believe that everything that has life came through Jesus. Whoa! How could that be? He says, well, that's because Jesus was in the beginning with God. He was God, and he was with God. Whoa! So what is his responsibility exactly? To give life. To give life. In every way that life comes. Life before sin. Life through sin. Life after sin. Life after death. The son's responsibility has always been and will always be to give life. Whoa. Well, that's not exactly what I thought you believed, John. Yeah, he says, so much bigger than you thought. Okay. So this word, word, what's this all about? It's the Greek word logos. 
And this word was used in Greek culture in many ways. So Stoic philosophers, which was a branch of philosophy, it used the idea of logos to talk about reason and enlightenment uh, that a human being, consciousness, might experience. So this is not a new word. John didn't make up this word. This word had meanings. But John is not simply agreeing with the Stoics. He's actually restoring or rescuing this word to something much greater, which is, he says, Jesus is the Logos. And the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. So much more could be said about this word Logos, and we'll talk about it a little bit. But he says, the word is life. And later, we'll see him talk in verse uh, 12 here. He says, the word, the Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as one, as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, John is tying these ideas of Logos, a word, to the idea of Son, the one and only Son. And why is that? It says, the word became flesh and, and dwelt among us. Here's how I want to tie these concepts to you. This is where the brain might begin to hurt. That's okay. The spirit can heal the brain. So pray that the spirit heals. Okay. What do word and son have in common? The idea of word and son, what do they have in common? Here's what I think. I'm going to let you think on it while I take a drink of water. What do word and son have in common? What is a word? When a word is spoken, what is a word? A word extends, write that word extends down, extends the thought beyond the thinker to share the thought with another. That's what a word is. Say it again. A word extends the thought beyond the mind of the thinker to share it, or you might say give it, hopefully as a gift, give it to another. This might surprise you. Before my sister Kim died in 2007, I was almost exclusively a thinker. I take personality tests, I do, it always comes out, Dave, thinker. You say, Dave, you talk a lot. <laughs> You're a talker only because of the Spirit of God moving in me. I was a thinker up until I was about 24 years old. I had all the thoughts I have now, but never or almost never did I share or give word to the thought. In that way, I was an island. And God said, Dave, time to stop being an island and row to shore and share the thoughts that I've put into your head. And so I became a talker. And everyone's like, I wish I knew Dave before he was 24. <laughs> that would be nice have him in the room. I'm working on it. But it's almost like I can't stop. God, through his spirit, has taken this thinker and said, share your thoughts with the world. Hopefully I share those thoughts which God has 
shared with me. In the same way, we have this idea of what a son is. And it's nice for illustration purposes that I have two sons, Grayson and Owen. So I have two sons, and in one sense, what are they in the world? They are extending me, in a sense, right? Me and Allie. They're extending both time and space. Meaning, a little bit of Dave and a little bit of Allie now is sitting up in kids' church right now. I'm here. I don't know, if, I don't know where Allie is. I think she's here somewhere. And they're there. So space is extended. When I die, my hope, my sincere hope is that they still are living. And so time extends. So a little bit of me gets extended, hopefully as a gift. I mean this. Um, not, not as some weird uh, self-aggrandizing idea. But this is what a son is. And especially in ancient ideas of the son, that's what it was. That the son is an extension of father. Extension of the name, the family name. Th- that's what it is. So sometimes we miss this when, when we read about uh, that Jesus was the son of God. Scripture is very clear. It's not as though uh, he was created by God the Father. It's that in the same way that a son extends that which is the Father, so Jesus extends that which is God. That, that's, that's the main idea. And, and in the same way, the son gets the inheritance of the Father, and so the Father, everything that he is and has worked for, gets extended through inheritance to the son. In that way, Jesus is the son Not that he was created. That's not why we call Jesus the Son of God. And so a word is the extension of the mind of God into the world as a gift. The Son is an extension of God as the very essence of God extended to the tangible physical world as a gift, John will tell us. So we have this idea of Jesus as the Word, Jesus as the Son And so both titles are then used of the second person of the Trinity. So there is one God. There is only one God. But he exists in three united yet differentiated persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so Son and Word are uh, by nature metaphors. True metaphors, but yet limited metaphors to capture that which is the fullness of God so that we might understand a little better who God is and who Jesus is and how the Spirit is in the world. So it's true, but yet language is always a metaphor. So God is so much more than word and son. Jesus is so much more than word and son, but it gives us a sense of how word and son relate to one another. So when, so when we say son... Not because he was born, but because he extends God into the tangible physical world. That's why the the word became flesh. The word word became son. We are now seeing, John says, 
God as no one has seen him before. Because the Son reveals him. We'll talk more about that next week, about light. Reveals him. And in both senses, that we have the Word of God, that we have the Son of God, is to see that we now have a tangible gift that we do not deserve. We have a tangible gift. Tangible meaning now we can understand God a little better. We can relate to God a little better. God is now manifested, manifested for us to experience him with clarity. And in this sense, it, it's been said that Jesus then is, the divi- is divine self-expression. The divine self-expression or speech of God. That's who Jesus is. Okay. This, like I said, your mind might be hurting. Let me give you something else that might help you think of this. One of the things that John chapter 1 does is helps us understand the three and the oneness of God in, in, in a way that no other passage does. So let me say it this way. Um, okay. If I said to you, I'm thinking of a word. I'm thinking of a word. I'm thinking of a word, right? Have you ever done this? Thinking of a word. What word am I thinking of? Um, the word exists, right? It exists in a sense. I'm thinking of it. And I ask you, I'm thinking of a word. Um, this is sort of, you could think of as the father. The word has been thought. The plan has been uh, already initiated in the mind of God the Father. The love is already there, in a sense, in, in God the Father. But then when I say that word, now here's the word I'm thinking. Now that word takes on what? A new life of its own. Because now it's out of just my head, and now it's in your head too. I've shared the word. That's the Son in, in the idea of the Trinity. So I'm thinking of a word. Uh, that'd be if God was just God and not Son and Father. I've spoken the word. Now the word exists outside in a tangible, um, touchable, um, comprehensible way. But that doesn't mean that the word's done doing what it's done to do. And that's where the Spirit of God comes in. That word then spoken now has power to change and transform and illuminate that which... So when that happens, when that word that's put out in the word, w- world then starts to have power to change and shape, then you see the... Spe- that's, that you can think of that as that's how the spirit uh, is also the word. So I, what I want to detach is this notion that, the, that God is somehow three separate gods. It's not. There's one word. The word in the mind of God then becomes tangible in the person of the second person, the son, and then it has power as, the, as it is the word of the spirit, okay? So it's not that there's 
different words. There's not the Father's word and the Son's word and the Spirit's word. There's one word, and, and, it, and it exists in three persons and works its way into God's plan. Now, this is, if I said anything that doesn't make sense or might seem like this has been wrestled with for a long time, but that's how the word works together, because there's one God and three persons. But it's Jesus, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, that is the, the, uh, the word become life. And so God the Father spoke, and life resulted, we'll see. So God is life. All of God is life, and it becomes life in a tangible form through the Son. That's his unique responsibility in the world. So I want to show you how that's portrayed elsewhere in Scripture so that you can see that this isn't a new idea that John's come up with, but John is just clarifying exactly what is true about Jesus so that we might try to understand, though it hurts the brain. So, go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. That's the very first thing that God tells us about. Genesis 1.1. You can turn there. We'll throw it on the screen as well. But I want you to see this. I want you to see how this is not a new idea, but an idea that John is now clarifying for us. It's very intentional. Remember how John 1.1 starts. John 1.1 starts, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, let me read you Genesis 1 and see if perhaps John's wanting us to remember this verse. It goes like this, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was God. God created the heavens and the earth. So obviously, John knows what he's doing when he starts his gospel with, in the beginning. He wants us to, oh my gosh, he's going all the way back to the start of this thing. In the beginning, And he's going to now add new layers to this. In the beginning was Jesus as well, the pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity, the Son. So in the beginning, now we're thinking Old Testament. Now we're thinking creation account. Now we're thinking where this whole thing began. Before there was anything, there was God. Before there was anything, There was the Word. Before there was anything, there was the Son. He was there in the beginning. Now look at Genesis 1-2. It says this, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Wow. Okay. That kind of reminds me of what John was saying about darkness and light and the darkness couldn't overcome the light. And this might be John's way of pointing to Genesis 1, right? You see it? So here we have an empty, formless void. And again, John's not trying to write a science textbook here. He's trying to explain things beyond The simple observation. He's trying to explain things from God's perspective. Darkness covered, and then we're going to hear God do something. What does God do? Verse 3 says, All things, or sorry, I'm still in John. (laughs) Freudian slip. 
Okay. By the way, don't believe Freud in all this stuff. Okay. Number three. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Okay, so here we have darkness, void, Spirit of God, and then God saying, speaking a word, let there be light, and light comes. John's going to say, when that happened, that was through the sun. When light came into the world, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, that was through Jesus the Son. You see what's going on here? So we have that throughout this prologue. References to light and darkness and life. Just like in Genesis 1, we have references to light, darkness, and life. Now, if you're still not sure that John is trying to uh, not rewrite, but write on top of Genesis, uh, all you have to do is study the rest of the book of John, and, and I'll just tell you, and then we'll see it as we study. But there's all these sevens in Genesis, right? Because God created in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. So seven is God's number. You see seven throughout Genesis. In John, you'll see the same thing. All these sevens represented in the Gospel of John. Just like in Genesis, you'll see uh, that in John, seven times, Jesus calls himself the I am, I am this, I am that, a reference both to him being God and also a reference to Genesis here. We have seven days at the beginning of the book of John that John walks us through, and then we'll have another seven-day period at the end of the book of John that he'll walk us through. There'll be seven questions, for instance, that Pilate asks Jesus, complete, whole questions. Pilate has every chance to understand who Jesus is and yet still sends him to be executed. We have seven festivals that Jesus attends in the book of John, seven miracles that Jesus does in the book of John. There's seven uh, different women that Jesus will meet in the book of John, uh, And then there's seven witnesses, those people who see Jesus and say he is God, seven of them. We'll see that as we go. John the Baptist, Nathaniel, Peter, Jesus himself referring to himself, Mary, Thomas, and of course John, the apostle who writes the book. So is John trying to point us back to Genesis? Yes, is the answer, because he wants us to see that Jesus is more than just a prophet, more than just a godly man more than just a worker of miracles, but in fact, the one who was in the beginning with God. So, if we continue on, uh, elsewhere in Scripture, um, let's look at Genesis, let's just go to Genesis 2, 4 to 7. It says this. Genesis 2, 4 to 7, this is now an account of creation zoomed in on the Garden of Eden and and the creation of man and woman. It says this, verse 4, These are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation. At the time that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, no shrub of the field had yet grown on the land, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not made it rain on the land. Underline rain. And there was no man to work the ground. But the mist would come up from the earth and and water all of the ground. Verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground 
and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. Okay, so here again, we have dust, lifeless dust. God breathes, acoustic blast, you could say. Something is leaving God and and being shared now with the man formed from the dust, and now life enters his being. Now, we're going to throw on the screen Isaiah 55, the prophet Isaiah, hundreds and hundreds of years later, writes this, 55 verse 9, For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He's speaking for God here. For just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return without saturating the earth and making it uh, germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, look at this, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. I think John maybe has this passage in mind when he thinks of God sending the Son into the world that he might save the Son, and none that he gives the Son will the Son lose, so he won't return empty-handed. You'll see that imagery all the way through the Gospel of John. Now, that's Old Testament. Now, if we look forward to John's revelation of the future, because John, as we said, also wrote the book of Revelation, where he sees a future that has yet to come to pass, and he speaks in in vivid imagery about what is to come. So this is after the age of the church and the promise that Jesus will come again. This is what he says, John 19, 11 to 13. We'll have it on the screen for you as well. He says this, Then I saw heaven opened. Okay, just like heaven was open and the rain fell. Heaven was opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider was called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So John has this idea of from the beginning to the end, it is the Word. And through the Word comes life and light and judgment. And He will remove the darkness once and for all when He comes again. So this is the image we have of the Word of God. And so what what patterns do we see? So we have to look at patterns to understand Think of Isaiah 55. The word is like rain from heaven. Genesis 1-2. Voidness, darkness, and God speaks on it. Like rain falling, he speaks on it. And then order and beauty grow up from it towards heavenliness. Of course, we see that culminated then in mankind who then is in the image and likeness of God himself. So when God reigns from heaven, when he speaks forth from heaven, when he sends from heaven, 
the word, life that then reflects the beauty, creativeness, and wonder of God grows forth. In Genesis 2, we see um, that there's no shrubs because there's no rain. So God forms a man by breathing life into his nostrils. And, cultiv- and his job then is to cultivate a heavenly garden even on earth. And then, of course, we see from heaven comes the word riding on a horse like rain from heaven, bringing judgment, which is righteous and true, cleansing the world of dark things. That's how to read Revelation, cleansing the world of dark things. And so, in that sense, always when the word comes, he brings life and extends heaven to earth. That's what the Word does. That's what Jesus does again and again. You see how this plays together? This is what John is trying to tell us. He was the Word at the beginning. He was life. And in Him, there was no darkness. He was with God and he was God. This little side note. Why does John need to tell us both that he was God and with God? Because he's trying again to highlight the fact that God is three in one. One in three. So Jesus is both God and with God in a sense that we take him at his word. Um, and from that heaven he rains down goodness and grace and gifts us life. From creation through salvation, through new creation. And that's why I, I told Tylene and Ryan, I call this my Shawshank sermon. You've heard me talk about Shawshanking, standing out. Next time it rains, just stand out in the rain and just receive the goodness of God falling on your face. If you've never seen the movie Shawshank Redemption, shame on you. Go watch it tonight. It's worth it. God's grace rains down, and it's been raining down through the word, from creation. All things were made through Jesus. Jesus was there then, and he rains down grace on us through the cross and the blood of Christ, and he's going to rain new life into us through the resurrection when he comes and cleanses the world of all sinfulness, darkness, and evil. It's all God's reign of grace. Shawshank. Redemption. Don't you think they're just stealing from the Bible? Great movie. Of course they are. That's all everybody does. Okay. So verse 10. Hold on, before I say that. So John's thinking is, inspired by God, is now new, revealed to him. His mind is changing about who Jesus is. He sees that he's the word from the beginning, the author of all living things. The life of God extends as a gift to other beings that he creates, and so we come to John, verse 10. John, verse 10, or 110, and what, what does it say? And this is very important. John, verse 10, says this. He was in the world. This word, this life-giving Jesus, the, the second person of the Trinity, was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, And they didn't receive him. But to all who did receive, he gave them to write to be children of God. And we'll talk more about that in a later sermon. But here's the idea. Life came into the world, enfleshed in the world. And yet, people still rejected the life. How could that be? 
The Word coming into His own creation was His great homecoming. Life itself. I'm home, He said. And the world looked at Him and said, Excuse me, who are you? I'm life. I created all of this and I created you and I'm here. And they said, Not in our house. That's what John's saying. But for anybody that did receive him, new life came into their home. So, this is the strangeness. All of this is true. We must receive and accept life from life, on life's terms, to have the only way to life. He was life at the beginning and he will be life at the end and so it's nonsensical to proclaim that we'll receive life on our own terms. Thank you very much. How can you say to life, I've found life some other way? This is what John's highlighting. It's nonsensical. It couldn't be. That's why when we go and we read John chapter 20, verse 31, we read this last week, the purpose statement of why John wrote this, what does he say? He says this, but these things are written so that you may believe and trust that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life. And there's only one way to life, in his name, John says. But you need to understand that if you say to life, when life shows up, no, it's okay, I'm doing okay over here. That's nonsensical, and it will only lead to death. That's what John's getting at. This is wild. This is what John is saying. And why does it matter? Because if life, if the word in the beginning, middle and end, if this life, if it's true that it's Jesus who is this life, and that's why it's eternal, never ending, then there are only really two things you can do with that knowledge. You can receive it and find life, or you can deny it and find death. There's no third way, John says, because life itself took on flesh, dwelt among us, died on the cross for our sin, and rose from the grave. So I have just leave you with three implications or applications. There are more implications than applications, so you need to apply them yourself. One, life in all its forms is no accident. This world is not an accident created by enough time and enough space. It's not an accident. Ergo, you are not an accident. Even if the humans who conceived you did not plan to conceive you, you are not an accident. God planned it. From before time, he thought of you, and he brought life into the world, and you are that life. You are not an accident. He gave you life. So love life. We, as the people of God who know John chapter 1, should love life. It was, it is, it will always be God's first gift to you, life. Love it. Thank God for life. Every breath that you breathe, 
every moment that you have. Thank him because you love the gift of life. Number two, love works. This is Sedaris principle number 10, if you're counting. To say that you love someone in thought only falls woefully short of God's definition of love. What is God's definition of love? We know it from John chapter 1. He extends that which is in his mind and his heart. He extends it to share the sentiment through action, through word, through deed, through the bringing of life to someone or something that did not have it before it showed up. That's love. Otherwise, it's just a nice thought. And not love as God lived out the definition. Love works. And it is a double entendre. It works in that it brings life, and it works in that it moves and goes and does something tangible. To just say, I love people, and never to move towards them and give them a gift of tangible deed or word is not love as God's defined it. Does that make sense? God's told us what love is, is it's to go to those that do not have and to give something of yourself. Sacrificially, I might add. Number three, life was before death and will be after death, which is to say life has the last word. I've said it before, um, death always finds a way but life always has the last word. The man who hung from the cross was not just a man. He was the word from the beginning, which John reveals to us means that he was life himself. And when he hung from that cross, made from, from the wood of a tree that he created, and they put him in a grave in the side of a mountain that was created through him, and then they rolled away the stone that he curated, what would you assume would happen next? Can that which the creator created hold down the creator? No. We will sing a great line and a song in just a second here, which goes like this. Death could not hold him. And when we sing that song, church, it's okay to cheer and celebrate Hosanna. Death couldn't hold him because death can't hold life. It's like when my boys wrestle with me. I let them hold me down for a moment. Let them have that moment where they feel power. But their father, the one who passed on to them this Viking aggression... There is a moment that always comes or is required because perhaps I can't breathe. <laughs> and what happens? Always, every time, I roar and I stand up and I say, no, you will not hold me down. This is the same with our Father. Death cannot hold him. Jesus is life itself. The one who created the mountain can raise the mountain. Do not forget that. When you're asking yourself the question, if this is exactly what John believes, what do I believe? Let's pray.